Australia. Quake Cooper for the win. It's on its way. It's on its way. It's gone. Quake Cooper is the man. Hello and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast, where diehard rugby fans having weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real, family-friendly and positive, so get involved. Get involved. Now, we're missing Rev, unfortunately, for the start of this evening, but he's still a part of the crew. Don't worry. My name is Mark Ando Anderson. With me is Mitch Foster. How are you in 2022, Mitch? Yeah, very excited to be back. Very excited to have another year of rugby to chat through. Uh, we've got a big year coming up. We've got a lot mm-hmm. of things planned. We've had a big off-season. We've been working away and doing some talks behind the, the scenes and getting some exciting, exciting things underway. So very much looking forward to what's going to happen over the next few weeks and definitely looking forward to this coming season of Super Rugby Pacific. Now, Mitch, I'm pretty confident that you're the one person in Sydney who has not yet had COVID. Congratulations on sticking away from that one. Um, Myself and my family got that just after New Year's. And the good news was it gave me a whole bunch of time to put together some nerdy rugby spreadsheets uh, with kind of a bunch of statistics and stuff like that that we can be talking through. So that was was kind of good fun. Um, It's also given us a lot of time to kind of, like you were saying, brainstorm what we are going to be doing this year. So there's a lot to be liking. Um, We have enjoyed our time away. I think we needed a bit of a break. I know I was kind of running on empty a little bit. Uh, Did you kind of appreciate the time away from the microphone just to recharge? Yeah, I think it was a good time to really step back and see what we've done in 2021 and look at the product that we were delivering and identifying where what areas we were doing well and what we like doing and what other areas we could be doing or we could improve on. So a uh, few different things to come this year. Don't want to reveal all of them too early, <laughs> but there are some definitely exciting things in the works. And yeah, from what we've already set up so far for the start of 2021, it's it's looking pretty exciting for the fans. Yep, it's very, very cool. Well, we've got a lot to get ahead with or go ahead with, so why don't we kind of jump into some of the basics. As you should all know by now, Super Rugby Pacific is starting up incredibly soon on the 18th of February. Now, the Draft Rugby Boys and Rugby Fixation have been going wild over the last week or two getting episodes out there, so make sure you get involved. I particularly um, recommend that everybody goes and listens to, or even better, watches the Say My Name podcast with for the, uh, I think it was the Fijian Drua, and it was incredible because they had some people from the team that helped them with the pronunciation of the various players' names, which is so important to make sure you're basically just doing the right thing, being respectful of the players and their backgrounds. So although I am not an expert right now, I'm going to be watching that video on repeat, trying to make sure I memorize how to say the players' names. So go and get involved. But what we are going to be doing over the coming kind of days and weeks until the start of the Super Rugby Pacific is releasing two episodes a week and what are those episodes going to look like mitch so we will do our previews of what we think is going to happen for each australian uh, super rugby side we'll go through the massive ins and outs uh we'll talk through what we how many wins we predict the team to get and where they might finish on the table we might also throw in a little bit of wallabies banter because you know you can't be an australian rugby podcast <laughs> and not throw in wallabies banter before the season's even started uh, but we've also lined up interviews with some prominent people from the different uh, franchises. So 
We've got, I, I won't go into who it is because it's pretty exciting, <laughs> uh, but I will announce that this episode, and you probably already know from reading the, the notes and the, the titles and things, but we do, we are doing the Queensland Reds this week and we have been chatting with Liam Wright. So, Liam Wright is a great friend of the pod. I think this is the third year we've had him on. Yep. Uh, always great to get his insights and really see what's happening in pre-season up in Queensland and, and how the season's looking and, and preparing for the boys from Ballymore. So, very, very good interview coming up. That will be the first part of the pod. So, the interview will be up first and then we'll have our chat later with Rev and, and Uendo going through the preview of the red season. All right, a couple of other quick uh, administrative things we're going to jump through before we get to the interview with Liam. First up, we've just spoken about the Reds, therefore we have to speak about the Waratahs just to keep the balance even within the force. And basically the, the Waratahs have announced that five of their seven games are going, or home games are going to be played out of Leichhardt Oval. Now we'll get into that in more detail when we talk about the Waratahs. But what that means is Mitch and I have decided that we're going to do a couple of meetups with anybody who is interested, head to the pub beforehand and then walk from the pub to the game and watch the Waratahs and their inevitable victories against anybody who comes. So we'll let you know which matches that's going to be for a bit later on within the season, but we'll do that probably two times out of the seven home games we'll aim to have that happen so that's exciting yep um couple of other points we're going to be continuing with our regular tipping competition on super brew so keep an eye out to register for that and really excitingly we are going to be using the draft rugby platform to host a fantasy draft rugby competition through for pick and drive listeners as well so mitch myself and most likely rev are going to be participants within that competition and we're going to need other listeners, active rugby fans to get involved. They're going to be limited places. It's an incredibly fun competition and activity to get involved with. So keep an eye out on our socials. We'll announce it in more detail next week as well. But just know both the tipping comp and the fantasy draft rugby competition will be happening this season. So get involved. Mitch, anything else we need to add before we jump into the interview? Well, for those who don't know where to find us or how to find us we are we do have social media platforms so we are on instagram at hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby use instagram mainly for the the flashy pictures and maybe a few (laughs) snippets from our episodes on facebook we're on the pick and drive rugby podcast page we're a bit more active on facebook and we like to back and forth with people on that platform so we've actually got a page on there as well where you can put your thoughts around major signing news or performances and things and get other people to comment on that as well so that's really exciting and another platform for fans to get involved in and we're also on twitter at pick underscore drive rugby now we are very i would say we're very social on on twitter <laughs> we that's probably the one you get in contact with us the most if you out of all of the social channels so if you are on twitter do definitely give us a like and a follow Nine out of 10 times, you probably will be getting Ando replying because it seems that he's just abandoned his Twitter handle and it just (laughs) sticks to pick and drive rugby. So if there are any controversial takes coming in 2022... That's when Mitch has jumped on and taken over and all the normal stuff is me. (laughs) No, it's definitely Ando. So I'm just throwing that out there to start with. Ando is the one that looks controls our pick and drive Twitter. I think that we have kept the lovely ladies and gentlemen away from Liam Wright for long enough. Let's get out of the way and let's jump to the interview with Liam Wright from the Queensland Reds. Let's go. <laughs> 
and with us to help preview the Reds as they move into their 2022 Super Rugby Pacific season is Liam Wright. How are you, Liam? Hey, guys, really well. Yeah, really well. So thanks for having me back on again. Mate, absolute pleasure. You're a, a regular on the pod now. Please don't ask for any payment because we make zero money from this. In fact, we might need you to give us money for coming on to the show. But <laughs> still, good to have you here. Um, mate, it's a Wednesday. What does a Wednesday look like in preseason life for you right now? Uh, Wednesday in preseason is paradise. It's the it's the one day we're not on the field. We still do a bit of gym and, and things like that in the morning and, um, you know, get boys get their treatment in, make sure we're right for the back end of the week, which is pretty heavy. But... Um, it's a great day to be in preseason because we uh, get a little massage around lunch as well, get our gym session knocked off early in the morning and um, the boys are home having the arbo off. So pretty good day. Hey, that sounds that sounds pretty glamorous, my friend, getting a nice little massage throughout the day. You know, what, is, I, think I, could, I think I could do that. Now, importantly, how's your ankle holding up? Because, I mean, we were, as both of us are pretty big Red, uh, Waratahs fans. Mitch is a Reds fan convert after last year as well. Um, but you did your ankle playing a Tars in a preseason last year. How's it holding up now? Has Thorny said you're not allowed to play us again in this upcoming preseason? <laughs> no, nothing officially on that end, but um, making it through trials will be a bit of a relief hopefully this year, um, you know, touch wood. But the ankle itself is uh, holding up really well. It's uh, The rehab went back. Uh, we got back a week earlier than expected, which was good. So, um, yeah, a huge help from all the physios, S&Cs, um, all the boys, et cetera, and um, gives me no issues anymore, really, which is, I guess, the best result you can get from rehab like that. So, um, yeah, the ankle itself is feeling strong. That's fantastic, mate. Glad to hear there's nothing kind of lasting from that. Yeah, yeah. Big relief. And I guess from your time in rehab last year, what ways do you think you grew personally as a player? Um well, as a player, but also personally as like an individual. Yeah, it was a it was a tough time. Um, it was it was my first real injury where I've had to miss an extended period of games. I, I guess I've been lucky in in other times where I've had decent injuries that it was you know through the end of the NRC period or um, I'd sort of be back for round one, as opposed to this time where I was missing round one completely and most of the season. So um, it took a bit of getting used to and, and probably just. Um, taking a step back in in all regards and um, trusting my process and in and knowing that I'd come back stronger from it. Um, my first sort of rehab I'd, I'd ever done where I tore my hammy off the bone, um, the physio said to me that, you know, almost everyone comes back from rehab stronger and a better player if you apply yourself. And that's sort of just the, the motivation I guess I tried to take in it. Uh, on the field, I guess it, it gave me a chance to watch a lot more rugby without the pressure of trying to do it and uh, try and learn things from the boys, try and put in a bit of a coaching hat on, a bit of analysis, things like that. Look at lineouts, breakdowns, tackle, all that stuff and, and see where I could pitch in. Um, but obviously the main focus was trying to get that ankle right and, and I reached out to a few, few guys. James Hall was really good to have a chat with me whenever I'd needed and um, obviously he was captain of the Reds and injured for an extended period of time as well um, and he said that the key thing to focus on is the way to help your team is to get back on the field and that your rehab has to be number one priority so um, yeah it was a fair bit of learning going into that and and as well I guess struggling the captaincy duties of that um, trying to take as much pressure off Rabs with the off-field stuff that I could do any media um, you know kissing babies keeping people happy with <laughs> stuff um, to try and help them out and, and again, take that step back from the team on the field, which 
um, I think allowed a lot of other people to blossom and, and put us in good stead for the rest of the, the year and hopefully this year coming up. And how did you kind of take that opportunity to sit back as a more of a fan this year and or last year and watch the Reds through Super Rugby AU? Their trajectory was very good. They went nearly undefeated through the whole season. How was it to actually sit back, watch that, see the progression of the team and then sort of get back involved towards the end of the season? Yeah, it was obviously good that we were winning um, and getting those wins, but I, I felt proper helpless on the sideline yeah. there, just like sitting on the bench. I know that first Tars game, they scored first, and I was sitting there like, oh, God, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was Ando's highlight for the season. He thought we were going to go right yeah, on that. We like, oh, no, this isn't the start we needed. And I knew I couldn't do anything. Yeah. And, um, you know, luckily the boys ran in a few tries towards the back end there, but. Um, yeah, it's it's nerve wracking and and yeah, I did feel quite helpless. But um, you know, the wins was reassuring and it was a good thing. But it was also probably something we spoke about was that a lot of our wins weren't um, that that style of footy that we were hoping to play. We we got some points on the board every now and then and, and things like that, but we weren't putting together eighty minute performances that we wanted, which again made it frustrating sitting on the sideline not being able to control anything. Uh, but yeah, at the end of the day, coming back into a team that was sort of top of the ladder, we'd secured that that um, home final was was really important, reassuring, and um, yeah, it just made my job a lot easier coming back into that team uh, for the back end of the season. Yeah, because it was a bit of an interesting season for the Reds because you had these massive highs of performing so well during a Super AU season. I mean, you only dropped the one game against the Force. Um, Was it Force or Rebels? Force? The Force, yeah. Yeah. And um, those three wins over the Brumbies are just some of the best games of rugby you can go back and watch. I've watched them again over this kind of Chrissy break. It's so good. It's such tight games going down to the last kind of couple of minutes for almost every single one of them. Um, But then you guys jumped into the transition Tasman comp, which unfortunately it was a played five one one, and one of them was a pretty significant um, uh, scoreline against you by the Crusaders. Uh, there was there was a lot made of some of the celebrations after the Super AU <laughs> final. Um, Lucan uh, a couple of days afterwards having his shades on, turning up to a couple of media things. Yeah. Um, has there been any kind of reflection by yourself or the team on how? particularly now that the AU to Trans-Tasman shift is going to be the same again, even though you won't have the final series. Um, is it, has there been any talk about how you guys are going to manage that shift from the Australian to the New Zealand uh, style of playing? Yeah, yeah, there has. And uh, I think that term reflection you said is, is a really good one because, um, you know, we probably unashamedly went into last year saying that our, our goal, sort of everything was we needed to bring home some silverware, we needed to win that Super Rugby AU. Um, and maybe a bit naively, we thought we'd be able to then transfer that to the Trans-Tasman. And, um, you know, but looking back, you know, speaking with Thorny and everyone as well, our goal going into that year was to win Super Rugby AU. We expected it to be against the Brumbies in the final. And, um, you know, ultimately we got the job done there. But then, uh, yeah, it was well, a, a reality check, really. We we felt like in a lot of those games, obviously we, we beat the Chiefs, but we very nearly let them back in. Um, you know, the Highlanders, the Blues and the, the Hurricanes, we were we were probably well in those games up until about 60, 65 minutes, which was uh, promising but but very disappointing. And then Crusaders, that was, I mean, you know, that was a masterclass and that's, 
it shows us where the standard needs to be and what we need to get to, uh, which is good because it, it brings us back down to earth. It, it made us sure that we weren't going to get complacent this year. And and more than that, I think having a – this is the longest preseason we've had. You know, rugby normally has – you go to the club and then you go to NRC and then you get to your one, two-month preseason, one month before December, one month after, um, and you're back in a game. So this is the longest preseason we've had and it, it really guided – what we were going to do in our preseason, uh, we we felt as a team we probably got pushed around a bit. We got bullied. We got physically dominated by those Kiwi teams in, in most regards, uh, and then our skill set just wasn't up to it, especially under fatigue. As I said, those last twenty minutes of games we were well in it, and then we just fell off the wagon. Let them score two, three tries pretty comfortably, pretty easy, and those score lines blow out. So, um, yeah, on reflection, we we know that well. Step one, we wanted to achieve that goal of winning Super Rugby AU, which we were pleased that we did that. But, um, yeah, it gives us a lot more guidance on, on how good we're going to have to be, how consistent we're going to have to be, especially with that that shift, like you say, from going to Aussie teams to Kiwi teams, which is going to be the same this year with the rebooted schedule. Um, and uh, I think that our preseason has been really guided by that, about uh, not matching it to who we're playing, but matching it to the top standard, which ultimately is the... New Zealand teams and and probably more specifically the Crusaders, which was that masterclass they gave us. I think that that's such a important way in which you guys can be reflecting upon those experiences because, I mean, I'm sure that you guys probably don't say this very much, but there is a lot of youth still within the Queensland Reds team, despite the fact that you guys are growing with experience and having that super AU win and having that understanding of how to play in those really tight championship minutes is so important for the development of a team. One of the fascinating things, I'm not sure if you actually know this, but the Red squad this year is the most stable super rugby team across the entire competition in terms of transfers out and transfers in, that kind of thing. Um, And so you guys have lost a few, like three kind of main um, pretty experienced players with BPA, Hamish Stewart and Moses Sarovi as well. But one of the, the question I want to ask you is, what's the secret source behind the stability at the Reds? Obviously, like, winning is great and everybody wants to be a part of a winning team, no doubt. But there seems to be something that's a little bit more there, even if it's just Instagram banter that we see going back and forth. Um, Some of the kind of, like, cheeky butt pass that you see on camera and stuff like that on the ground or at um, interviews. What is it that makes people seem to just really want to stay at the Reds? Yeah, well, I guess... I don't know if there's a huge secret to it, but a lot of the people here, well, 90, 95% of our squad, I'm not sure what the official statistic is, have come through the pathways. Um, they've grown up in Queensland or playing for Queensland or playing for, for, for the Tigers, for East or Brothers or someone. And they've, they've just got a lot of linkage to Brisbane and Queensland and, and um, yeah, and our state, which, which makes them want to really work hard to represent them and stick around. And, um, a lot of the guys have come through together. You know, I've um, played with guys like Hooper, um, Blythe, Scotty since grade seven, um, guys like that. Hooper and I used to work um, at the caravan park before we made it into the top <laughs> squad. And we'd come in for the Arvo sessions to try and help out fill numbers and things like that. So um, you just shared a lot of memories, a lot of, a lot of hard work with each other. And um, I guess it's just really nice to then share in some successes on the field and, the boys really want to create more. We want to keep going with each other, um, make memories that will last a lifetime. Thorny's big on that. He, he always talks about, you know, the championships that he won. He could 
go up to anyone from that team and no one can take that away from them. They can talk about that when they're old, to their kids, to their grandkids, things like that. And, um, yeah, that stability just comes from the boys really believing in what we're doing. Uh, they trust the guy next to them, which makes them want to stay around. And and um, it's a pretty good place to be as well, Queensland, apart from <laughs> the, the really hot pre-seasons and the muddy pre-seasons. The, um, the Ballymore precinct's just been confirmed as well. Building's yep. getting underway for that soon. And yep. um, I do think that's going to become a lure as well for, for people to come to Queensland and, and stay in Queensland. And, um, you know, that's something that rugby doesn't have too many of, uh, big assets like that. And, uh, yeah, for the guys who are here, they want to see the end of that. And uh, I think that'll become a calling card as well for other guys. And probably another point on that is that's worth mentioning is that our – coaches, um, Thorny, Sam Cordingly and recruitment sort of thing there. Um, they're looking to promote Queensland growth and people who um, are good men, good Queensland men and know the Queensland way instead of probably the easier option would be looking for, you know, huge signings, huge talent um, from overseas or different clubs or things like that. Um, and that's probably why our stability has been so consistent. We're looking internally um, obviously, we get the odd guy uh, like Sully came in last year and he's been a really great fit, but he's come from that Melbourne culture that I think Thorny holds in high esteem as well. So, um, yeah, a good combination of all those things. Now, you've been an incredible gentleman and not pointed out my mistake of saying Hamish Stewart instead of Bryce Hegarty. So thanks for that one, mate. I really appreciate <laughs> it. Um, yeah. Now, actually, on Bryce, um, he filled a really important role kind of as that really experienced head as a utility back. Um, and he was able to step in when um, Jock or well, Rabs was injured for a little bit of last season. He stepped in at 10. Um, who do you see within the back line really stepping up to provide that guidance and experience um, if you were to have a couple of injuries to some of the um, players within the back line? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bryce, Bryce was hugely important to us last year. He was our, um, we called him sort of our resident politician. He sort of always knew the right <laughs> thing to say, the right move to make. And, um, yeah, he filled a really important role on the bench earlier to give us that flexibility when he comes on and then was able to step up into that 15, that 10 jersey um, to start a lot of times as well and, and pull us out of some dark places. So he was really good. Uh, I, th I think this year, guys like that, obviously you'll have you'll have Rabs there probably in that 10 jersey um, leading the way the whole time, which is which is really good. He's, he's come a long way in his development as a, as a game manager in the past few years especially. Um, and I think Tate, Kalani and, and Spencer, our halfbacks that have been working with him as well, will um, do a really good job there at nine. They've become a lot more louder, a lot confident um, and in delivering sort of our movement around the field and not so much just their, we all know they're great players, but in their guidance of the game as well. Um, I think some guys to look out for probably in that sort of leadership role in the back, sort of 10-15. Um, I think Jock Campbell's really impressive. He, he's a guy that... Um, we've seen him just tear people up with mm. his own footwork yeah. and on those kick returns and things like that. But he's, um, especially over this preseason where James has been out with the Wallabies for a long time, um, Jock stepped into that 10 role, that 15 role, that just sort of second second receiver organising around the back line, telling our forwards where to go um, really, really well. And, and he's been awesome like that. So I'd, I'd keep a lookout for him. And, and another one is um, a guy called Lawson Crichton. So... Yeah. Um, a brother's boy through and through, uh, went to Padua, I believe. And uh, he would have got his opportunity last year. He was gonna, he was on the bench for one game, didn't get on, um, which, which sometimes happens with Thorny and Debus. It's a bit of a running joke. <laughs> with us, but, 
Um, and unfortunately broke his, broke his leg the next weekend playing for brothers. So he would have almost definitely got on the, the week or the week after that. So um, unfortunate timing there, but he's been, was really impressive in training last year, sort of tearing us up in that second team, preparing us for the games. And um, yeah, he's just about back to full strength and everything now and, and ready to go. And um, he's a very smart player. He works with Rabs a lot um, on his kicking, on his game management, just asking questions and, um, he can play anyway. He could, he's big enough to be a 12. He's silky enough to be a fullback and he's, he's got skills for 10 as well. So keep my eyes on those two. That's good to know. There's been a lot of talk uh, in fan circles and Wallaby circles about Jordan Pattaya suiting up for 15 this year. Uh, Dave Rennie's made it known that he wants Jordan Pattaya to play 15 for the Wallabies. How are things going in pre-season currently? Is Pattaya looking as the 15 option this year for the Reds or has Jock Campbell sort of got a mortgage on that position? Um, it's, it's interesting because in preseason, I guess every session they're trying to roll out a different team and, and put a different combination. And, and especially with our back line, when you've got guys like, uh, you know, Jordy can play 13 wing fullback. Um, like I said, Jock Campbell could play 10, 15, um, Hunter, Hamish, Isaac Henry, all somewhere there in those centers, Sully, Filippo, uh, guys like that on our wings. Like there's a, just a bunch of different combinations you can play. Um, we've definitely been trialling them in all sorts of spots. Uh, and, and Geordie's main focus this preseason has been probably checking that his hammy's all good after yeah. that Wallabies little little scare. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he's looking at a pretty full flight at the moment. And um, yeah, I think everyone's getting a few reps in everywhere. I, I couldn't confidently say I'm, I'm more sticking my head in the balls yeah. at the moment. But yeah. um, I think it'll be a good battle for um, probably anywhere in that back line. Everyone will... One position change will affect quite a few people and, and movements around that selection. So, yeah. Trying to trying to do some of our kind of predictions of what the first match day 23 will be. It's just a pain in the ass. Yeah. Because trying yeah. to understand what the back three composition will be like is just impossible. Because yeah. um, there's no guarantee of like what kind of Rennie wants at a Wallabies level will filter down it to the super level. Um, and even then when you got talents like uh, Dungunu and Vernavalu as well. Yeah. Um, like how do you fit all your good players onto the field at the same time? You just can't. Yeah. Um, so the makeup could have. be anything. You could yeah, send some yeah. to New South Wales. We wouldn't be upset <laughs> with a few of those guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, we wouldn't, oh. wouldn't sacrifice that stability we were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, we'll take what we can get. But um, that's actually a really good quick question I might just focus on because we had a couple of fan questions come in and Hugh Tyndall's asked specifically, how's Jordi Pattaya's hammy? Um, just wants to make sure that particular muscle is going well. Um, so he has been training pretty well, seems to be quite mobile and no recurring issues from what you've seen? Yeah, yeah. It's um, I, I don't think it was too serious to begin with. Um, obviously, probably ruled him out of those last few games and everything, but um, it wasn't, he's obviously been quite unfortunate with injuries and on the scale of things, how his body sort of heals up, it's, it's been quite a good one and, and, and nothing too serious for him. He's, uh, yeah, I'd say pretty much back to, to full strength, full speed, everything like that and, and, and going well. Great. Good to hear. Uh, now, one of the really great initiatives that I'm kind of envious about as a TARS fan is the Reds to Regions initiative that you guys do each year. Um, and for our dear listeners who don't know, what it is, could you kind of share, firstly, what is Reds to Regions, what happens on it, and then what are kind of the benefits that you see both as a player, but then as a part of the Queensland Reds organisation more broadly? Sure. Yeah. So, so the Reds to Regions is an initiative that was um, created by Thorny and and the um, and the Reds around 
uh, getting out to our state and, and trying to really show value to our supporters that, that we appreciate their support and, and the where there's to support them as well for that time as well, because um, sort of, especially in Queensland, everything comes quite localised in Southeast Queensland and, and more specifically in Brisbane. And uh, obviously rugby union struggles to get that reach out as, as much as league and, and AFL and things like that. Um, but for pre predominantly league in our, in our Queensland. So um, it's really for us to go out and, and to try and give instead of take. We, we get a lot of obviously nice things as, as footy players and especially that being our fans who come out um, and toil a long way to come and support us and, and cheer for us, which, which we know makes a big difference on, on the field. Um, so it's a, it's about showing rest regions, which is, we did our third year this year. It's about showing what the Queensland way is and, and reconnecting with, with proper true Queenslanders who will give us that insight, I guess, and, and allow us to share in a bit of their story, learn a bit about them and, and, and try and help them out for a few days. And, um, you know, obviously things in Queensland get really tough. We've had, we've had floods, we've had drought, we've had, um, you know, just a lot of different environments and, and. So getting sent out to all parts of the of the state is is just really important because we know that by connecting with them, creating and and the, I think the key thing is especially over these three years is, is it hasn't sort of been a one and done. It's about building a genuine connection where we go back. Um, me and Wilson went to Longreach uh, and Barcord in the first year, and then we went back there the second year and stayed with um, the same family, the Donnellys, um, up there at Barcord and and Longreach. So it's it was just awesome. Like we still talk to them. They'll still hit us up and be like, we're down for the weekend. Or, um, you know, they had a, another baby um, about a year ago and, and we all got in contact with them and said hello and things like that. Awesome. So, um, and then the other thing we did was we did a Jersey swap um, and tried to get a, a piece of memorabilia from our trips and, and from those clubs and helping to build rugby out there because a lot of the places we went, went to the rugby club just, couldn't keep going and things like that. So we'd try to, um, you know, do a coaching session if there were people there who were interested, go to the pub and just talk to people, uh, things like that. And, and what we found from that first year and, and continued into the second and third years, and, and hopefully again, when it keeps continuing, is that those people really appreciate it. They appreciate what we went out to do to try and help them and, and just be genuine Queensland men, uh, which is a big part of what our squad's about. And, and what we feel when we put on that jersey. So um, we know that then when we put on that that cue on our chest, that's who we're representing. We're representing the people out in, in the country doing it tough, the people who drive 16 hours just to come watch a game with Suncorp. And and that way, with us supporting them, we know that once we get on the field, they build the ones supporting us on. And um, I don't think anyone showed that more than the 42,000 people who, who rocked up to Suncorp for the final there. It was a, um, a pretty emotional stadium that day yeah and i think another a part of that like you were just saying linking it back is uh, i don't know if this is brad thorne's influence or just the way that queensland rugby r runs but you had the names of all the different clubs from reds to region as well etched yep. into the jerseys last year um yeah, which i think yeah. is which is great as well when you're pulling those jerseys on on game day you are reminded of that connection 100 and, and we've got the outline of the state on the jersey and we've got that again this year and um yeah, like you say, it's it's about creating that connection, that link. Uh, people always, you know, try and look at the jersey and point that that's my club there. And <laughs> the uh, the guys upstairs did a really really great job of making sure that every single club in uh, in Queensland was on that on that jersey on our on our state. So 
Um, yeah, I think that was a really cool touch, which is sort of epitomised, I guess, that that cultural change that we've tried to see in the last five or so years with with um, Brad coming through, with um, you know Sam out there, general manager, the coaches, and and um, all the players as well. Is that um, the main part is about being a Queensland and being a Queensland man and being genuine, hardworking, and, and caring about your mates because we think that's what Queensland's about, really. Awesome. Now, we've talked about the team as a whole. We've talked about the back line. We do need to talk about the forward pack and you specifically as a player. So the forward pack that the Reds have is probably one of the best in Super Rugby this year. You've got talents like yourself, Fraser McWright, Harry Wilson, Angus Scott Young, Sarah Uru, all competing for spots. As an individual player, what do you think your skill set is or your style of play that sets you apart from some of those other guys? Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of good players in, in that yeah. sort of realm in that back row, which it's going to be just like the back line we were talking about. It's going to be a very challenging uh, decision for round one as well for the forward pack. Such a good um, problem to have. It's a very good problem to have, and great to have that depth. And um, the beauty of it is, is that um, a lot of our back row and second row, you know, you got Luke Khan there in the second row as well. You can sort of interchange it to six. Similarly, we saw Seru in the row a bit this year just to, you know, get him involved and get his skills out on the field. Um, I guess on a personal point, what I probably try and bring is um, a bit dependent on where I play in positions, but um, as a seven, I guess I'm a taller seven. I've got those line-out skills that, that probably some sevens don't have or, or, or aren't utilised as much. And um, it's sort of a line-out role that I've been doing since I was much younger, since I was a skinny kid who... <laughs> get thrown up super high in the air and I've managed to keep a bit of that. So, um, yeah, I, I think that brings a bit of a, a, a difference and a point of difference to, to that position. Um, similarly, then when I slide across to six, um, you can utilise those line-out skills more and, and still be a bit of a fetcher around the field, which, which sometimes comes naturally as I played a fair bit of seven in, in growing up. So, um, yeah, just trying to bring sort of a, a balance of those skills uh, I've been using the preseason as well to keep working on um, a bit more dominance and sort of defence and attack as well and, and those things around there. Um, that's obviously a key point that's that's going to make us successful this year is, is the dominance of our pack. Um, but I, I think the thing that really works for our pack row is, is the balance that we find. We seem to do uh, really well at complementing each other's skills. You know, you look at guys like Wilso, he's obviously got the running and the big offloading phrases all around that breakdown and he's great around the wider parts of the field. Um, Scotty's got those real tough, tight carries and, and huge shoulders on the fence. And, and then, you know, you've got Sarah's Wayne who are just silky smooth, big bodies, like ready to hit and run through things. So, um, yeah, I think that balance in our back row is, is probably our biggest strength. And no doubt you'll play any position you can just to get on the park. But at the moment, are you leading more towards the six or the seven jersey? Um, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd just like to be on the park after what happened all last year. Yeah. I just want to get some footy under my belt. But um, Get in at nine, mate. Come on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> if Tate and Kalani go down, I'll advance. <laughs> I'll be, um, be ready to go. So, um, yeah, look, at the moment, like I said, it, it's sort of one of those things in preseason where we're trialling lots of different combinations. Um, Fraser and I are the primary sevens um, in the squad at the moment, so we do a lot of time at seven there. Um, but then depending again on that makeup of the back row and the balance that we're looking for, um, I slide across to six. Um, you know, if at the end of the games, even a bit of eight sometimes, like uh, I, I think, again, it depends. One selection will 
push either way. If we've if we've got a shorter maybe forward pack, then perhaps might be a six with more of a line out option. Or if we've got a bunch of big guys, then it might be um, looking at seven there. So I, I could give you a firm answer until uh, round one, <laughs> round unfortunately. One. Until you, yeah, it's that question again. What's going to happen in round one? Yeah, I don't even know myself. So it's, uh, yeah, I'll be speculating with you guys. Oh, how good. That means we're all on the same level. That's great to know. Yeah. Um, so you guys have some stupidly talented people. Uh, you got Nella that's just redefining what a prop like should like can do it's amazing the things that he does um you got tate you got someone that's just insanely strong and fast good in the air like jordi pataira or sui funavalu as well um we all love a bolter we all love to know who the next kind of up-and-coming person is you kind of pointed to hudson Crichton earlier um it's a somebody else that you really think we as fans need to be keeping an eye out for as who's just going to have a killer season in 2022 yeah, um, well, we saw a little bit of him last year, but I think Zachary Henry is um, a seriously, seriously good player. Like, he, he obviously showed what he could do. He had that really good showing in his first run on against the Chiefs. Um, but he's sort of just getting better and better with, with more pre-seasons, up, pre-seasons under him. He had a bit of a disrupted one last year with with um, uh, sort of patella issues in his knee, so he didn't get the whole preseason. But you should see this guy in the gym. He can squat and bench with with the most of them like it's it's crazy he's super strong super flexible gets to ask to grass like <laughs> and he just takes that on the field as well he's fast he's fit he's agile um and he just transfers all that power into his tackles and his runs so um yeah i'd definitely keep looking out for zaki good to know all right he'll be in my uh, fantasy team that we'll be picking in a couple of weeks good good to know he'll be starting each week yeah you can tell us that <laughs> <laughs> yeah count on it count on it yeah, good to know. Okay, Mitch, over to you. Let's go to some fan questions that we've had in, so some quick-fire questions. John Wilkinson asks, have you, Liam, noticed a big difference in players like Harry Wilson or Fraser McWright who were not taken on the spring tour and told to have a full preseason at home? Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, those guys, Fraser and, and Harry, um, had conversations with friends and, and sort of about what they wanted to achieve and and um, I think especially in, in conjunction with the World Cup coming up, they wanted to be peaking for that. Um, both easily good enough players to be on that tour if, and um, and I think the coaching staff and that, all that understood. But it was also really good to see them being able to sort of put what was best for them ahead of, of just short-term interests and making sure that they're peaking. So, um, you know, a lot of Harry's stuff was around speed and agility and, and um, he's been working extra sessions with Marshy and our strength conditioning, like a lot of our guys have, trying to get that that acceleration and that max velocity up. And and um, you, can, you can see it transferring really well. He's obviously got the game where he can just bust through people, mm-hmm. but he's now bringing that little bit of uh, extra footwork and, and beating people on the spot as well. So uh, that's that's a really scary thought. Um, and and Fraser's, Fraser's um, you know, is physically he's in awesome shape he's one of the fittest guys you'll see going around he absolutely kills the yo-yos and things like that and um i don't know how he does it he's a, he's a little nugget but he's he's very very fit um he's very fast and so physically he's probably got a lot of those those skills already um and so he's been using this preseason a lot to um just keep working on his defense on his attack to transfer some of that that physical stuff into that dominance in the in the field and um, you know, from being in that Wallaby squad for the last sort of month, TRC last year, um, he was a standout trainer the whole time. And 
Um, unfortunately, he's got hoops in that position who was having a cracking year himself. So um, obviously a tough one to get picked there. But, you know, his training effort and um, his skills themselves are top notch. And um, I think he's uh, just going to keep biding his time and, and pushing themselves and pushing the people in that position. So he's had a really good preseason too. Good to hear. There's a bunch of really good quality young sevens who are kind of just... Uh, and in the nicest of ways, waiting for, I don't know, the Hooper era to kind of fade off into the sunset for them to try and get some more game time. So we'll see how things progress over the next little while. Uh, Hugh Tyndall also asks, any insight into the game plan or tactics evolution from last year into 2022? How are you guys going to be approaching this um, the season from a tactical point of view? Yeah, tactically, um, I don't think too much changes for us, to be honest. We we sort of saw with our attack systems that, um, you know, we were making quite a lot of line breaks, probably weren't converting them as much as we'd like to, but, um, you know, we were making the most line breaks out of the Australian teams, and I think we were third or fourth out of um, out of all the teams there. So, um, obviously, like I said before, we, we realised that the Kiwis put us to the sword a bit, and that guided our, our training, but... It probably didn't change too much tactically, but more so just working on individual skill sets, which is, I think, what the Kiwi guys do so well. Um, you know, their catch pass under pressure, under fatigue is is uh, top-notch. It doesn't drop off, and, and you see consistent skill like that. Um, they're super fast into the breakdown, which is where we lacked a bit in in getting those line breaks into converting them into tries, and and that's just been a major focus for our for our training. And, and so it's, it's really been... Uh, we think our systems are good um, and and solid in that attack and defence. We think those will hold up well. It's more just about bringing our individual um, physical skill sets, uh, getting stronger, faster, more powerful, which has been really good with an extended preseason. And then those uh, you know cash pass, those breakdowns, things like that, uh, bring those more into the show with uh, simplicity, but done well and done consistently, which is uh, probably what our preseason has been guided around. And finishing off the fan questions, Terran McCasker asks, what do you believe you need to do to get into the Wallabies team? Like personally? Yeah. Yeah, good question. Um, Apart from like hamstringing Hooper or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, look, for me, I think um, um, I'm obviously, I'm, try, I'm trying not to think too far ahead for that. Um, I think... Um, when you probably focus more on the end result like that, you you get a bit in your own head and 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 start playing footy that isn't natural style. Mm. Uh, I think a key thing for me this year is to get lots of footy under my belt to to play well for for the Reds and for Super Rugby and and um, just to force my way in there. I think we saw that with um, I think a good example was Rob Valentini this year. Is um, he was probably in a similar boat to me. I think in twenty twenty. We both sort of had three games off the bench each. Uh, whereas this year, he just had a cracking super rugby season, uh, made sure that he was the first name written down in that Wallabies team and then just never let the jersey go. So, um, yeah, I think I've got to have just a really good super rugby season. I've got to bring those skills in before, show that I can, um, you know, fetch the ball on the ground, uh, bring some dominance to my, my contact and some, um, some, some running game there, trying to link up with the backs and, and obviously get those tight carries in too. But, um, you know, obviously I'm not going to be a, a huge body like that. So I've got to play my way where I can make impacts in the line out, try and get some steals in the air, be good around the malls, um, the right decision-making around the breakdowns, link with the backs and then 
Um, I think the key is just trying to bring more dominance in my in my runs and my um, tackles. So um, the short answer, I think, is just more footy and, and be able to take those skills from the preseason into those games. Yeah, it did sound like you kind of just have to do everything, but just a little bit better. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you can do everything a bit better, you're in a pretty good spot. So. Yeah. <laughs> How good. Well, mate, you've been incredibly generous with your time. So I think we might kind of wrap things up there. If people wanted to follow you, find out a bit more about the life of Liam Wright, where would they go to find you? Uh, I guess my Instagram, Liam Wrong is Right. Uh, I can't say I've got the most interesting stuff up there and I'm not <laughs> the biggest poster of all time, but you'll see a few snippets every now and then. So, sure. How good. Well, again, thank you for your time. Best of luck to the season ahead and can't wait to get down and to, I'm, I'm sorry, mate, I'll be cheering a Tars on, but to see you guys when you come and play in Sydney. So, thanks again. For sure. Thanks, guys. Should be good. Catch up. Bye. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Liam Wright, for the interview then. It is, he's basically a regular on a show now. We should pay him a little stipend for coming on. Um, but either way, it's great to hear the insights of a current Reds player. And now we're going to go through the 2022 season preview for the Reds, talking in a little bit more detail about the ins and the outs within the squad, our expected finish for them on the ladder, and just kind of our general expectations for the season. So why don't we quickly start with a bit of a look back into 2021 at Rev, I might throw it over to you, mate. If you just, I, I thought you'd enjoy this moment here. Um, what about, how did, how did they track? How did they go within 2021? Uh, 2021, all I can remember is Super Rugby AU, which they did really well in. Um, <laughs> played eight regular season games and won seven of them with just the one loss to the force. Uh, so obviously made the finals where they were able to beat the Brumbies in another classic. So uh, really solid and impressive season for them. Um, the trans Tasman did eventuate. I think the biggest issue was uh, the first game against Highland is being played a week after the final. Um, we saw Lukan Salakai-Lodo in his sunnies hungover, <laughs> I think, two days afterwards. So uh, it was always going to be tough, um, and that sort of set the trend for most of the teams. They won one of the five games over there, um, a game where they had a massive lead on the Chiefs and ended up only just winning. So I think that showed probably the gulf in quality between Super Rugby AU and Alto Roa. So it's a really good chance to have had that opportunity. Uh, they've now played a few tests against them. So this year with Super Rugby Pacific, I'm very keen to see how they sort of shape up. One of the things I did over the holidays, because I've had a bit of COVID isolation, um, I actually went back and watched all the Brumbies Reds games from 2021. Damn, they're good games. So people, if you have some time on your hands, get onto Stan Sport, go back and watch those matches, even a mini match full of excitement, tense finishes in every single game. Uh, so go there and get involved. Now, the major ins and outs of the Red squad has been the most stable squad of the Super Rugby transfer window. So that's a huge credit to the system that they're building there and the team and the dynamic that they're building at the Reds. Uh, but we have out three pretty big names and pretty significant players. So you've got Brendan Payanga Ramosa. Bryce Hegarty and Moses Sarovi. So uh, BPA has gone to France, Bryce Hegarty's at Leicester, and Moses Sarovi has gone down to the Rebels. And in you have Spencer Jeans, Tom Liner, Lepetti Faifua, and George Blake. Now, let's go to you, Mitch. Who do you think is going to be the biggest loss, BPA, Bryce Hegarty, or Moses Sarovi? I think Brandon Pangramos is the biggest one that comes to mind for me, particularly being a forward-orientated person. Uh, he was in some really good form towards the end of the year uh, in 2021, and we saw that going into the Super uh, to the Rugby Champs that he was playing. He was at one point he was the first choice hooker for uh, the Wallabies, so 
we would have loved to have seen Brandon Pangramosa hang around for another year. Uh, but unfortunately, he has decided to go over to France. And hopefully, as players do do, they go overseas and they get better. So hopefully, he does go over and improve his game over in France. But uh, for me, the, the two hookers that they've got, um, Murphy is a great hooker and has a lot of potential. But I don't think he's quite at the level that Brandon Pangramosa is yet. Bryce Hegarty and Moses Sorvi, we there are backups for both of those players. And see, the interesting thing is with Bryce Hegarty, he was very much that utility back that brought experience, that brought calm to a really exciting Reds backline. I think, in my opinion, he's actually really underrated and they're going to, in my opinion, struggle not having him there. Now, Rev, this kind of ties into just the importance of James O'Connor for the Reds because he's going to be the starting 10. Um, there's the question of whether or not he will have a leadership role within the team as well. If he goes down injured and with no um, Bryce Hegarty there, who's the replacement 10 that's going to step into that role? I think the luxury the Reds have is if they do have an injury with James O'Connor, they can call upon Hamish Stewart, who has had a decent um, stint of games at 10 before. He's obviously been used as an inside centre primarily um, since O'Connor's return, but he he has had a, at least a full season, a few extra games thrown in playing at 10, um, both at NRC level and at Super Rugby level. Uh, so he's probably someone that won't get a lot of starting minutes, but will be used as that backup. Um, the nice thing about him is he's just someone that's very safe. He can kick, he can pass, but he's just going to make all of his tackles. He's going to, you know, direct the ball around well. And the Reds have the luxury of having a lot of outside backs that can cause a lot of damage with probably me passing them the ball. So it won't be the biggest hindrance if, you know, it kind of goes down. Obviously, it's a massive golf in um, talent between the two as fly hubs, but um, I won't be too upset if we still have Stuart available to play 10. Now, one of the interesting thing that comes with these transfers out of the team is they, whilst I said before that the Reds actually have the most stable squad out of the Australian super teams. Um, and Rev, is that the case across the entirety of the Super Rugby Pacific comp that they have the most stable squad? Yeah, the least changes in or out. Uh, Wonderful. Very impressive. Yeah, and so when you actually look at it, the players, BPA, Moses Sarovi and Bryce Hegarty is the main three. They actually in total are around about 200 caps that they've lost out of those three. But then with the players that they've brought in, they're very inexperienced. So whilst it doesn't make a huge impact on the starting 23 in that Moses Sarovi had kind of lost his position on the bench to Kalani Thomas near the end of the season, um, they, I, I am just a little bit worried because they are not the most experienced team and they are not the oldest team going around. There's still a lot of really young faces there. Having that particularly wise head from Hegarty there just to settle things down, I think, like I said, will be a bit of a bigger loss than what they'd considered. Now, what I'd love to shift to is the thing that we always love to talk about is kind of like, who are the, who are the key players for the Reds this season? And, I mean, there are so many, I, I'd say household names, but, I mean you got to be a really good Australian rugby fan to just have a man crush on Harry Wilson or Fraser McBride <laughs> or something like that. Um, but Mitch, who do you think is uh, are maybe the one, two or three key players for the Reds this season that you're looking for to lead the team forward? Yeah, I think key position and key player for me this year is James O'Connor at number 10. We saw towards the end of Trans-Tasman last year that when James O'Connor picked up that, was it a calf injury or a a groin yeah. injury that sidelined him for pretty much the majority of the year uh, from then on, that the Reds really struggled. 
Uh, they they didn't have that experience tend to come in and really lead them around. They were serviceable, but they lost their captain. They lost their experience, uh, and their performance struggled with that. Um, outside of James O'Connor, I think Tate McDermott is massive for them. He's such a fire, a fiery player that he ignites so much of that backline. He sparks things from nothing. That the players they have uh, outside him are, are serviceable but they just don't impact the game like Tate McDermott does. Uh, particularly Tato, Tate McDermott and James O'Connor together have a really unique combination in Australian rugby at the moment. We didn't see enough of that for the Wallabies this year. Hopefully 2022 is the year that Dave Rennie starts to get them a bit more game time together. But uh, Super Rugby Pacific this year is the perfect time for them to really gel that combination and to work on it and to, to know each other's games in and out leading into the Wallabies later this year. Uh, the other key position or person that I think needs a massive year is Jordan Pattaya. He mm-hmm. has so much potential. There's talks of him playing fullback, and I think that's where we've named him for this year. But he needs to have a really big year and just have no injuries this year to really get that confidence back, start to put some real minutes under himself, and uh, really start to develop as a player. I think he needs to remain injury-free for the season. Um, if he wants to kind of step forward in the way that everybody in Australian rugby has been hoping for for the last few years. He's such a young body, but with so much talent and explosive power that he simply hasn't had the consistency of game time to develop the combinations with the players around him and to be able to kind of just develop that game that goes beyond these X Factor moments into being a consistently high quality player throughout the entirety of a match not just having these one or two moments of brilliance. Um, What I might quickly do before I throw over to you, Rev, is I'm going to go through the starting 15 that I put down for us. Now, I'm going to own this. Yep, I'm going to own this and say this is what I put down. And for everybody listening, this is a combination of what I would like to see as a starting 15, as well as a bit of what I think we'll see from the coaches. It's a bit of a blend. Okay, so um, we'll see how correct I am when the uh, first squad of the uh, Super Rugby Pacific team season is announced. But uh, starting off in the front row, you've got Fotuaka, um, Mafi, and Tupo as the kind of front three. Smith, Salakaya Loto as our locking combination. Uh, Wright, McWright, and Wilson as 6, 7, and 8. McDermott and Jock, 9 and 10. Vunavalu as 11, 12. And 13 are Paisami and Fluke with Dungunu on the wing and Jordan Pattaya at 15. Rev, do you think that is close to or is a pretty good representation of what the starting 15 will be come that first round? Yeah, um, that's the same 15 I've named. Um, I think the there's probably a few positions where there's question marks. I know at the start of last year, um, Blue Set Prop was really between Dane Zander and Harry Hoopit. And then... Mm. Uh, Feo Fotowaka had an awesome season. He could transition between loose and tight head and was a great foil for whenever we didn't have Tupo for whatever reason. Um, but I think he has really earned that um, loose head jersey. So I'm keen to see him start at one. And then, of course, um, the center combination. We have had, a, I think, probably the only issue with Hunter Pasami being we haven't nailed down whether he's a 12 or 13. And that mm-hmm. sort of goes the same for Wallaby's level. So I'm very keen to see if we see Pasami and Fluke, which is probably my preference at the moment. Or if we see Stuart uh, at 12 with Paisami at 13, or even um, uh, Isaac Henry at 12, who was quite exciting last year. We do have a lot of 
young and exciting options, but I'd love to see them just nail one down. And I think Passami at 12 makes the most sense for Wallaby's uh, inclusion. And that's exactly where I was going with putting Passami at 12 um, and not Jordan Pattaya at 13 as well. Mm. Uh, I think the Pattaya, um, Paisami Pattaya 12-13 combination would be really, really exciting to see to super level. But I was also thinking ahead and going, Len Ikitao has the mortgage on that 13 jersey at the Wallabies yep. level, and he will be the 13 barring injury for this season. Um, so will Paisami be playing 13 for the Wallabies? No, put him at 12 for the Reds yep. and let him have a full season of development there. Um, maybe with James O'Connor inside of him at a Wallabies level as well. Like it, it just kind of makes sense to have him at 12 uh, looking forwards to the national setup. Uh, Mitch, any quick comments on that starting 15 or what I've just said about uh, Paisami's positioning? Yeah, I think it's going to be a big ask to get Jordan Pattaya to start Super Rugby Pacific uh, at 15 when he hasn't played there professionally uh, since his schoolboy days. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they named Campbell at, at fullback for the first few rounds and ease Batarian off the bench. Um, I would be worried as well that he, as a player who is so injury prone, has that in the back of his mind as well as being in a, a new position, trying to learn the calls, trying to learn the moves, trying to learn the positioning. Uh, that it kind of just implodes and just has a bit of a fizzer for the first few rounds. We've already seen he's such an impact player. He He's such a mental player as well, similar to Jack Maddox used to be for the Waratahs. If he has some good early touches of the ball, he has an absolute blinder. If he has a few fizzes to begin with, he just gets off his game and he gets inside his head. So I wouldn't be surprised if Brad Thorne decides to ease him into that 15 position and we may not see that come round three or four. Yep. Yeah, some really good points there. And uh, Rev, who's the captain? Captain, I'd, I'd like to see it be Liam Wright. Um, I, I think he's he's someone that's just shown he's uh, got all the credentials to be a leader. Um, I think he's someone that you know should be in that same team. And barring injury, would have had a great season um, and really pushed for that wall of his jersey a bit more. I know he had, I think, the sole opportunity in 2020 under Dave Rennie and you know got to see a bit of him there. But he's a really exciting player, and I think. He could provide a lot of value in a squad, especially if you go into a World Cup or something. We've got someone that's you know traditionally a six, but can play seven very comfortably as well. Um, you don't tend to take too many specialist sevens in a squad, so having that point of difference is really useful. So I'd love to see him captain and just have another um, stellar season because he was um, hampered fairly poorly by injury, uh, unfortunately, in 2021. And what that did is it gave the opportunity for Angus Scott Young to have a really strong season. And he's actually gone over after missing out selection in the Wallabies squad. He has gone and played at the MPC and by all accounts from what I've read has thrived there. So the reason why I asked you that, Rev, is because I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that Liam Wright is walking back into that sixth jersey. I think he's going to face a lot of competition from his good friend Angus Scott Young. So that'll be an interesting one to watch play out. Again. So Ando, on that on that theme, if McWright is isn't number six, who's your captain? Uh, if Wright isn't number six, right, it'd be sorry. James O'Connor. There's too many. James O'Connor. Too many yeah. <laughs> rights in this team. Um, very easily, James O'Connor. Yeah. And that's an easy decision to make. Maybe uh, Wright remains club captain and then James O'Connor is the on-field captain until he uh, regains his place in the starting team. Something like that. Um, either way, that's not in any way, obviously, a slight on Liam. It's just a question of him needing to regain that position after the injury uh, hit season he had in 2021. Um, now, looking forward to the bench, there are some really exciting players. And in my mind, there's nobody more exciting that can come off the bench for the forward pack 
uh, than Seru Uru. Some of the breaks that he made last season, um, particularly in maybe the first game against the Brumbies, where he kind of came on late into the game, picked the ball up, and then just ran straight through a ruck and about 40, 50 metres downfield. Uh, just showed this level of um, dynamism, which was absolutely wonderful to see. He's a player I would love to see force his way into that starting 15. Mm. But uh, the, the question is, who do you take out? And, I mean, is it sacrilege for me to say that he could be pushing Harry Wilson for a starting spot, Rev? I, I completely blacked out then. Uh, I think I had a stroke <laughs> or something. I, a um, stroke. Yeah, I, <laughs> l- let's pretend whatever was said uh, we can ignore because I, I think, um, yeah, there's... The, well, I am, I am going to say something that's actually playing off Ando. Yeah. <laughs> must be, must be. I'm very sick. Um, I'm actually going to say something that's a little bit more challenging for you, Rev. So I hope this is okay. But I really like Harry Wilson. He had a fantastic 2020. I don't think he was anywhere near as good in 2021. Uh, I still think he's a quality player, but I feel that um, he didn't make the same impact, particularly on gain line carries, that he did in 2020. And so I, I'm looking for him to have a really big season. Otherwise, mm. I'm just not sure he will be living up to the promise that he showed early on. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about that statement that I've just said? Do you want to punch me? <laughs> no, I think um, it, it's it's funny you say that because um, having spoken to some of the people that have been around um, Harry, I know that when he was in the under-20 setup and with the junior Wallabies, um, the coaching setup was very much, hey, run however you want. You're very damaging. Let's get some offloads in. Let's, you know, show the shimmy, you know, full thing. Um, and he started very much in that vein uh, for the Reds and even for the Wallabies for a bit. But uh, Brad Thorne's very much been more about that direct play and, you know, running like a traditional eight, especially like a New Zealand um, eight, as Thorne would have, you know, been around so many of. Uh, and so I think there's been a natural sort of... Um, not delay, but a natural sort of adjustment as he's um, made that change into that style of running. So as opposed to looking for that offload or, you know, hanging on the wing, looking for that break, there is a bit more of that tight work. And because that isn't the natural, um, I guess, inclination for him, there might be a bit of movement there. And, you know, that's um, fairly anecdotal at the moment, but when you look at the games, it does sort of reflect that sort of change. And I think he has started to come into his groove a bit more with that, but as we've seen, Rob Valentini had such a breakout year. Pete Simon is obviously a fan favorite for a lot of people as well and is really damaging. Yep. Um, so there is a massive push to try and get back into the team. Part of me is wanting him to chuck a Rob, Rob Leota and have just put on a bunch of muscle and weight in the offseason mm. and to really up the physicality of his game and to have the mass to go with that physicality of his game. Yeah, um, I was always a bit critical of Rob Leota for maybe lacking the size to go along with his energy, right? Um, he, he seemed to always be trying to do the right things but didn't have the mass to get him through. And he's just a beast of a human. He has yeah. put on a lot of muscle in the last kind of 12 months. And I wonder if Harry, because he's still quite young, um, is just at the point where his, as a forward, his body's still developing and he's still putting on muscle mass and weight. And yeah. I think that I wonder if over the next couple of years we'll see him really up the intensity and physicality as he physically grows because he's still growing on that note well uh with what you said before um sarah uru trains down at uh east gym because that's his um that's his local club and so i saw him down there the other day in the the tiger shed which they've uh, converted into a weights room and he's put on at least six or seven kilos of muscle so ignore whatever you see on uh wikipedia for his you know weight at the moment um 
he's looking in awesome form. So just as you say that, you know, could he push for a spot in the starting team? Absolutely, he could. Um, whether it's, you know, at the expense of Parry, I, I, I doubt. I think you want them both on the field. But, um, I mean, he could very easily slot into lock, and he's got that extra size and bulk now that he would be quite imposing, even if he's not as tall as a conventional lock. So, yeah, uh, yeah really look forward to his season as well. I guess that really comes down to whether Harry Wilson took advantage of that time to get that preseason under his belt mm. last year, or because it sounds like Sarah Uru has. I think that's the thing. This team is so young and driven that like they can change physically quite a lot over an off season. Um, you know, when you look at the you know list of players in there, um, Smith is you know twenty five, but still coming into his Super Rugby um, season. He's you know put on a bit of size based on some of the photos I've seen. McRide and Wilson, obviously, 22. Like, that's still so young. You're not going to see Hooper come back from an off-season with, you know, 10 kilos of extra muscle. And he doesn't need to because he's obviously so well-rounded. But there's such a difference between, you know, an established, you know, 28 to 32-year-old player uh, compared to, you know, a young 21 to 25-year-old coming back from a season. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to the Reds because, obviously, they fit that younger demographic so comfortably with their average age of 23.9 or something across the 23. Now, before we move off this area, uh, we've got one last question for Rev. Suliasu Vunavalu, is 2022 his year? I really hope so. I, I think this is the year. I mean, there's no... What did he start last year with some sort of charge for punching a bouncer or something? And then yep. he had the hamstring injuries. The Reds have had a few superstar players that have just been um, unintentional pun, but hamstrung with injuries and... They've just got to really try and get past that because I think their best 15 on paper, um, no injuries, no issues, no suspensions, I think is the best 15 in the Super Rugby EA or out of the Australian teams and better than a lot of the New Zealand teams. But I don't think the depth necessarily matches that. And it's when you start getting a few of those injuries that you start thinking, oh, okay, well, maybe they're not quite as threatening as we'd like. And we definitely saw that by the time we got to the Trans-Tasman comp. Yeah, so, yeah, sure. my only wish for him is I think he can be a Wallaby. I think he can be a regular starter for the Reds, but he's just got to stay firstly out of trouble, secondly, um, as injury-free as possible. All right, so let's let's make a couple of hot calls here. Um, Mitch, two uh, best players or two most important players. Quickly say them again. James O'Connor, Tate McDermott. Okay, and Mitch as well. Who are the Who's the unluckiest player you think that's going uh, within this season? player who has maybe been pushed out of position or is maybe unlucky to not see much game time, you think? This season? Yeah, coming season. Uh, I'll go with Sarah Uru. I think he's going to really struggle to get on the field and he's going to be a big player for them. Yeah, okay. Uh, Rev, how about you? Two most important players for the Reds this season. Um, I didn't get touched on it before, but I'll I'll just go through the one key one because everyone needs to know. Alex Murphy, he is so vital to this team. Mm -hmm. Um. The fifth most experienced player in their squad, which is crazy because he's not a household name necessarily. But looking at the other options, uh, Richie Asiata, he's only played two games at hooker for the Reds for 21 minutes. That's nothing. And he's probably going to be the bench option. Um, Josh Nasser, he's played nine games, but only five of them have been at hooker. Uh, 75 minutes across five games. Like These guys have no experience playing hooker. Um, Both of them, if you look online, are still listed as props because that's where they started their careers. It's a massive issue, and he's injury-prone. So if he has an injury, the Reds are going to struggle hugely uh, without any disrespect to the others, but he's so much um, more of an experience and step-up option than the others. So to me, he's he's the go-to. Um, yeah. Wrap him in cotton ball. 
Okay, so that's one. Who's the other uh, most important player? Our most important player, I think, uh, James O'Connor. Yeah, touched cool. on, but yeah. And player that you think might have an unlucky 2022 just because of lack of game time or out of position? Uh, probably two that have been touched on, but Hamish Stewart and Jock Campbell. I think yeah. they could be starters at other clubs. I think they're really good skill sets, but I just don't know if they can find a way into the starting 15 for these teams. Um, it's probably at the expense of someone I'd rather see. So for those two, um, it's tough on them. They'll get minutes, but yeah, not starting minutes. Yeah, and for me, I mean, I can't believe we've gone through the Reds without talking about Taniela Tupo. Yeah. Um, so I think he's just, we all know how good he is that so we don't even need to mention how good he is. Yeah. But Taniela your Tupo commentary... Will play 80 uh, minutes every week. <laughs> but the problem is, what if he goes down? And that's that's a challenge, isn't it? Because it's Nongor who's after him, who's his backup. And I don't have it in front of me, but he would hardly have seen any game time at all. Eight uh, matches. Yeah. Yep. So he's played eight games and he only appeared in five matches last season. Um, So he is, again, just this huge step down in quality from Taniela Tupo. Um, And it's not as though you're going from superstar to decent middling player. You're going from superstar to inexperienced young player. And that is so important. And especially with if anything happens to Marfi on his inside. Uh, yeah. Tupo is going to be critical to su- the success of this team. Um, that being said, uh, I think I'll just stick there because we've said the other players that are um, really important. Now, the players I think are going to be super unlucky, Angus Blythe and Jock Campbell. Yeah. Um, Angus Blythe lost his starting spot to Harry uh, to Ryan, Ryan Smith? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. Ryan Smith um, throughout the season. And he wasn't even making the bench because Angus got young and kind of Sarauru were filling that lock and back row spots. And so I just wonder if he is going to see much game time, whether or not he'll be starting and Smith will be the one that kind of uh, replaces him. Not sh- not too sure. But I think if things continue like last season, he might be looking for a move at the end of 2022 um, if he's not getting the game time, which he really kind of deserves at his current or, age and stage. Or gets moved, yeah. Yeah. yeah I read exactly. Australia. Yep, exactly. Um, all right, guys, anything else we want to quickly touch on before we finish up our chat with the Reds? Um, no, I, I think that's, that's been really well covered. I like um, the versatility of the players we've got there. I feel like with injuries, we can move a few across. But as has been said, this is a really young side, the youngest side on average in um, the Australian group. So they need to just try and keep that um, starting 15 healthy. Yep. Mitch, anything you want to touch on before we leave? Are we going into predicted finishing, number of wins, any of that sort of stuff? Oh, why don't we do that really quickly then? Okay, so Mitch, where do you think they're going to finish in 2022? I've got them finishing fourth and I've got them on 10 wins. Yeah, okay, cool. And Rev? Mitch is the real Reds fan because I've got them fifth with nine wins. So (laughs) in the same ballpark, but uh, slightly below. Yeah, and what are we placing three or four uh, New Zealand teams ahead of them? Uh, For me... I've actually got um, Crusaders, Blues, and Chiefs ahead, but I've also just put Brumbies in at fourth. I think they'll do slightly better against the Kiwi sides, and they've just got some really nice depth, so yeah, they edge it out. And Mitch, did you have just Kiwi sides ahead? Yeah, I think the the Reds are going to build off their 2021 year, and they've got a fairly similar team, not many outs. So they know what they need to do. To, to beat the Australian teams, they pretty much went winless against all of them last year. So I think they'll do that again. They'll probably get the, the rub of the green against the, the Drua uh, early on and probably Moana Pacifica, which will be enough to get them up the top there. 
Yeah, brilliant. I'm going to be going for around fifth or sixth. I worry about the injury curse mm. um, that could potentially happen to them. Like we mentioned, if they get a couple of injuries to key players, they just don't have the depth to cover for them as adequately as other teams like the Brumbies might. Now, what, what we might quickly do for fun and then wrap up is a mm. uh, predicted number of inclusions in the Wallaby squad because the season hasn't even started yet, but we do need to talk about Wallaby squads because what's the point of a rugby podcast if you can't just cast wild aspersions about who's going to be playing for your national team? So in the previous um, iteration of the Wallaby squad, I think there were nine originally, nine Reds players that were called in. Uh, Rev, you've listed 11. Who else mm. do you think is going to be making a Wallaby squad that didn't make it originally? Uh, the ones that I added in, uh, Alex Murphy. I think he probably could have been in that uh, Wallaby squad ahead of someone like Lockie Lonigan if it weren't for injuries. Him and Dave Parecki were um, both pretty poor timing with injuries, I think. So... I'd like to think he gets a look in there. Um, and then the other one, uh, Suliasi Vinavalu. I know he yep. was sort of in some players and after, uh, national interest, but he was sort of always injured around that time as well. So uh, same sort of vein. If, if they get a full season, I do think they're probably in that sort of best three sort of in their position. So Yeah, I will remind you that BPA won't be there. So yeah. that means maybe your number's 10 instead of 11 because um, BPA's gone. Uh, I... <coughs> I've got 11 in count. Maybe I'm including uh, Wright or someone else, but yeah. I'll ah, that's all good. That's all good. Um, and Mitch, you're thinking nine. Yes, I've gone with nine. I think similar numbers to, to this or last year, 2021, uh, potentially some new faces in that squad. I think there's some positions that might get taken by other players from other super sides, but I think there might be some players, Alex Murphy, for example, potentially yep. Sarah Uru, but I'm not throwing that out there too early, that might be bolters for this Wallaby squad. Yeah, fair enough. I think that's understandable around. Um, there are just so many exciting players in this team that give them a good breakout 2022 season. That could be enough to force the way into at least the wider training squad for the England or the spring tour at the end of the year. Uh, and I'll be saying around nine or 10 as well. I think they'll still be. Just this. go between. Yeah. Well, I just think there's going to be a Brumbies bias. Um, yeah. Again, just because of the um, experience. No bias. A lot of no bias. We said that last year. No <laughs> bias. <laughs> All right, cool. Let's leave it there. Thanks so much for your time, guys. And it's been an absolute pleasure being with you tonight. Have a great evening. Catch you, everybody. Bye.